the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God had proven himself time and time again as a merciful and just God. He had provided for the nation of Israel even when they had rebelled against him. Thousands of people had died in the desert wilderness because of their hard hearts and unbelief in God's word. In chapter 18, God had confirmed with the Israelites by way of the miraculous that Aaron was to be the high priest. God had caused Aaron's rod to bloom full of flowers and almonds. Then God gave Aaron and the Levites more instructions on how they were to conduct themselves and to be set apart for the work in the tabernacle. God gave further instructions on how to ritually cleanse the tabernacle when it would be defiled. This was done through the ashes of a red heifer. Now we join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Between chapter 19 and chapter 20, there is a 37-year interlude. And if you're just reading your Bible and don't know that, it can be a little confusing. For it says in verse 1 of chapter 20, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And you think to yourself, wait a second, they just left Kadesh. And what is this first month thing? I thought they, they were already there. In fact, there are those who say, oh, see, Numbers is written by a bunch of different people, and this guy didn't know that the other writer already mentioned that. No, 37 years go by. We know that because Miriam and Aaron die. And later on in the Bible, it tells us how old they were when they died. And we know that's how many years have gone by. The thing here is that it's 37 years passed between chapter 19 and 20. 37 years of nothing worth talking about. 37 years of going nowhere with nothing to report. I don't know about you, but I don't want my testimony to be, oh, well, he knew the Lord, but he missed out on so many things God wanted to do in his life. It's not really worth talking about what he did with his life. I don't want that to be my testimony. Now, the reason we pick it up 37 years later instead of 40 years later is because this begins the transition from the first generation to the second. And so we go from the ashes of the red heifer to the beginning of the ashes of the first generation. That's a horribly sad thought. And yet from those ashes will arise a faith that will take the next generation into the promised land. They will not fail where this one did. We find them here 37 years later of just going in circles back at Kadesh, the place of their failure, right in the edge of the promised land. This is where they sent the spies in and then refused to go in after the evil report came. They aren't here to enter the promised land this time. So the question is, why bring them back to this place? I hate to say this, but God always brings us back to the place of our rebellion until we yield to him. Always. A little confession time for Pastor Will here, all right? This was not one of my best weeks. The whole sewage coming up out of our pipes thing, I didn't respond really well to that. When I was up on the roof and I've got that thing and I'm trying to break through whatever muck and mire is down there and smelling it as it's coming up through the pipe, I'm not happy with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I'm not a plumber. I'm like, can we just break through here? You know, I'm, my hands are a muck. I'm a muck and it's hot and the sun's out and I've been working at this for hours and I'm just angry. 
You can bet your bottom dollar that when the plumber came out the next day and fixed everything, I didn't just go get on my knees and open my Bible and go, well, thank you, Jesus, let's just talk about Sunday. No, the Lord's going, Ahem. how about all those wonderful things that were going through your mind yesterday? How about the argument you got with your wife yesterday because you were upset and she was trying to point you to me? How about your yucky attitude towards everybody just because you were angry at the world? If I don't deal with that, God's not going to go, oh, well, Will's having a rough time with that. We'll just move on to something else. God never works that way. God works like this. I want this. And until you give it to him, his finger remains there. And I have found, even when I go away from the Lord, he's ready to pick up right where he left off. But that means he's ready to pick up for the same exact reason I left. You can leave your marriage. You can leave your job. You can leave your family that you don't like. You can leave all the things that are in front of you. But I guarantee you, Wherever else you run to, when you're ready to do business with God again, he's going to deal with you on that same issue again. Because he is not satisfied with anything but total surrender. He won't settle for anything but total surrender. So he doesn't move on. Here they are, back in Kadesh, the place of their failure in faith, the place of their rebellion. But it mentions here that something very sad happens. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, it's a powerful statement because it shows that Moses' own family wasn't exempt from God's judgment. Something God is going to give them a special exemption. He does not, and he won't. And thus, we must say goodbye to Miriam. She exercised great faith and courage by following Moses in the river. She led the women in worship after the Red Sea victory, but she also critiqued Moses for his interracial marriage and also critiqued him because she thought he had too much power. And so we see in Miriam, much in our own lives, an enigma of successes and some failures. She started off well and then didn't get to the middle part really well. We don't know how she ended because we don't see the rest of the story. We just see her death. But let's be those who both start well, go through our middle well, and like Paul, finish well. Amen? Verse 2, we find out that there's a crisis again. And there was no water for the congregation. Now, 37 years go by. I don't know what happens in those 37 years. I don't know if they just had plenty of water, plenty of food. I don't know if they didn't complain about the manna. I don't know if, like, they looked over at Moses and said, truce, and Moses said, truce. I have no clue. I don't know if it was 37 years of wonderfulness or just 37 years of, I won't bother me if you don't bother me. I don't know what it was. But after 37 years, the Lord says, it's time to work now. You've never dealt with this issue of your rebellion here So I'm going to throw a crisis into your life and we're going to see if you trust me this time. And so God allows this thing to happen. This is again the same thing. You can run from your struggles, but it doesn't matter how many years and how many miles you put between yourself and your struggles. You can change your circumstances, but you are still you. And God still wants to teach you the same things. Don't be surprised if you face similar challenges. Now, in Israel's case, they don't respond well again. For it says, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode. They brought an accusation. They were hostile towards Moses. And they spoke saying, would God, or if only, we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Oh, they remembered. 37 years have gone by, but they remembered what happened here. Oh, would that we died with those armies that invaded afterwards and died. Would that we died with Korah and his rebellion and all those people that died in the plague the day afterwards and we accused you of killing them. Oh, that we'd all been wiped out then rather than be in this situation where we have no water. 
And they keep going. We're talking 37 years of bitterness and anger show up. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness? Why couldn't we go into some other part of the desert? Why are you bring us back here, Moses, that we and our cattle should die here? You're just taunting us? Why bring us back to this awful reminder? It's 37 years have gone by, but it's still raw, isn't it? Because they've never dealt with it. But see, God still wants their trust. He brought them here, not Moses. Sadly, they don't pass the test. Verse five, and wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt? Why do you even bring us out of Egypt in the first place to bring us up onto this evil place? They repeat the report. It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. You haven't kept any of your promises, Moses. You sold us down the river. Part of Israel's problem is that they never recognized God's leadership through Moses. They always looked and blamed Moses. They continued to separate Moses from the Lord's directions. And may I encourage you with something? Don't shoot the messenger. I still need to learn that, but you need to learn it too. Instead of railing against them, take it to him and let him deal with your heart. They say this is no place of seed or figs or of vines. And this is a harsh critique that Moses had basically lied to them. But it's because of how close they are to the place of seed, of pomegranates and figs. And they're basically saying, are you taunting us, Moses? Hey, it's right over there, but you didn't go in. I mean, are you taunting us? Again, I don't know what the last 37 years have been like for Moses and Aaron. We don't have a record of how the people treated them during that time. Was there a truce? Was it just a boring 37 years? My guess is no, knowing these people. And yet, Moses and Aaron do what they've always done. Verse 6, they take it to the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The people don't do it at the tabernacle. They know better this time. Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces. They pray to the Lord. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So God's glory appears to give them instructions about what to do. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, take the rod, that's his staff that turned into a snake, the emblem of his authority to speak for God. Since leaving Sinai, Moses hadn't used it for anything, but God tells him to now. Take that rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother. And I want you to speak unto the rock. This is the rock that's been watering you all throughout the 40 years. He says, just speak to the rock again. It shall give forth its water and you shall bring forth to them water out of the rock. So you shall give the congregation their beast something to drink. Problem solved. Why does God tell Moses to take the staff again? Well, God is trying to remind Israel that he's leading them through Moses. Moses is just his mouthpiece. He's leading them. Moses didn't bring them here to taunt them. God brought them there because he was trying to do something. What was he trying to do? Well, when we read through this here, we see that he's trying to remind them of something. Not their failure, but his mercy. God doesn't make any mention of their bad attitude. He doesn't make any mention of their lack of faith here. He doesn't make any mention of their harsh critique of Moses. He just says, I want to take care of their need. I want to provide for them. And here's what you need to do, Moses, to take care of that. Could it be that God brought them here to remind them of something other than their failure that happened 37 years ago? Could it be that God brought them to this place to remind them how he spared so many of them when they all deserve to be wiped out, how he showed them mercy then, and he wanted to show them mercy again, and how he'd keep on showing them mercy if they'd simply trust him. Could that be why he brought them here? See, I believe God is seeking to draw out their faith. Have you ever considered that God might be doing the same thing through your trial? God, why am I doing this? Why is sewage coming up out of my shower? I don't know, and I won't know the full answer, but perhaps the Lord might be trying to draw out my faith. Will you trust me through this? It's a simple thing, Will. It's not like, you know, I'm asking you to trust me whether the person saying renounce Christ or die will not pull the trigger. Can you trust me for this? See, God loved them 
and he wanted to take care of them. And the same is true for you and me. The only question is whether or not you and I will trust him more. And what a cool thing. A crisis becomes an opportunity for God to make things better, right? God's got a plan. And only two things can ruin it. If the people remain in unbelief or if Moses messes up God's instructions. Verses 9 through 11 become one of the single most things we remember Moses for. It is one of his only failures that we read about after his time of 40 years herding sheep. And yet it is one that defines his finish line as well. So verse 9. And Moses took the rod. And there's a little bit of strength in that word took. You can tell he's upset. Took the rod from before the Lord. Because that's where it had been laid up in the presence of the Lord. As God commanded him. And the idea, almost the language kind of conveys, I'll do what you tell me to, God. But I was kind of hoping you'd just wipe them out. <laughs> Remember last time we were here and you said, I'll kill them all and just start over with you. I'm actually cool with that plan now, God. He seems to have a bit of an attitude here. And we're going to see it come out in a moment. And so Moses and Aaron, they gather the congregation together before the rock. This is where Aaron is. He's partially guilty in this too. He sees his brother fuming and he's right there with him. So they gather the people together before the rock. And he, Moses, said unto them, Hear now, listen up, you rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod, he smote the rock twice And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. I imagine this whole scenario took less than 15 seconds to unfold, and yet it determined Moses' future. 15 seconds, probably. Listen up, you rebels. We need to do this for you again. You can't just go to the rock and trust the Lord. We got to do it for you again. Do you with all your complaining and whining? All right, I'll show you how I feel about this. Whack, whack. You know, it's interesting. Before it says that water came out, there's a colon there. That's an inspired pause that screams, what just happened? What in the world just happened? Now, Moses had a temper problem. We already knew about that. We've been watching that throughout the story. And I don't know if it was 38 years of dealing with their accusations, 37 years wandering, one year at Sinai. I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if he himself was raw with the memories of being at Kadesh thinking, I just wasted 37 years of my life because of you people. Now you're at it again. Whatever was in his mind, he 100% messes up what God wanted to communicate, which wasn't that God was angry with them. It's that God wanted to take care of them. The fact that Moses struck the rock twice, I read this as I was studying and all I could see through my images, how many times I probably threw things or smashed things or whatever when I was trying to unclog that thing. And I was just so mortified with myself. I'm no different. He was angry. What does the Bible say about anger? Why are you angry? Because you want something and you can't get it. That's always a source of anger, even good anger. We get angry sometimes for the right reasons, even though the display of anger is wrong. Because because we want something and we can't have it. And Moses wanted the people to just get it. When will they get it? And he's done. And so he smacks that thing twice, so angry. By doing so, by speaking with the rod that confirmed his authority to be God's voice, Moses didn't just give the people the impression that he was angry with them. He gave them the impression that God was angry with them. That God saw them as rebels to be annoyed with, not the people he loved and wanted to take care of. Let me ask what you would think if you were an Israelite and you saw Moses do this. It'd make you feel pretty low, wouldn't it? You probably wouldn't be thinking to yourself, man, God loves me so much, would you? Pastor Chuck always used to talk about how Jesus told uh, Peter, you know, if you love me, feed my sheep. Not if you love me, beat my sheep. 
our job as, as you, if you lead or if you teach the word of God in some capacity, you lead your kid, you're not to beat them up. You're not to beat them into, you know, whatever you think they're supposed to turn into. You're to feed them, tend them, lead them. They need their own walk with the Lord. Now, ultimately, you want them to go to Jesus, not to you. And so when you get angry and you drive them from you, guess what? They're probably not going to go to the Lord either because you're in that spot of leadership representing the Lord. And so Moses misrepresents the Lord. They certainly wouldn't think that God was for them. Now, the most surprising thing to me is that water came out. And the surprising thing to me is that God didn't kill Moses right there. And then have somebody else and go, hey, guys, we're going to start this over because I'm not even angry with you. And we're going to do this all nice and happy now. Everybody okay with that? As they sweep Moses' ashes. But that doesn't happen. Water comes out, even though Moses was unfaithful to do his job. Moses 100% disobeys God by hitting the rock instead of speaking to it. As a result, he misrepresents God's heart to them, and yet God still meets the people's need. What does that teach us? Well, this shows that God's blessing isn't evidence of his pleasure with a leader. I've even had conversations with pastors who are just not really where they needed to be. And they would say things like, well, I know God's blessing me because look at how big my church is or look at how well we're doing or look at how many outreaches we have. You can get into that mentality, whether you're a businessman or a church leader or whatever, and begin to think that God's cool with your sin because everything's hunky-dory. But here's the kicker. You can never measure God's pleasure with you based on what seems to be success and what you're doing because God is going to still bless people even when you're not doing your job because he loves them, just like he did here with the people. The only way that you can gauge or measure God's pleasure with you is whether you're pleasing him with your behavior, not because the ministry is flourishing or your business is flourishing. Thus, God and Moses now, they need to have a conversation. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron and said, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given unto them. And so this is called the water of Meribah, which means contention, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. It's interesting that Aaron gets this punishment as well. That's the heavy responsibility of being a leader. You're held to a higher standard. James chapter three, verse one says, let there not be many teachers among you for you shall receive the greater judgment. Aaron should have stepped in when Moses started to get steamed. He should have stepped in and said, Moses, you need to take a step back. We need to do this, but not right now. You need to go get your heart right with the Lord so that when you go out there, you don't mess this up. But Aaron had had it too. And when he saw his brother getting steamed, he thought, let's go give it to him. And so he bears responsibility too. God says, because neither of you believed me. What does that mean? They didn't trust him. They didn't trust that just speaking to the rock would minister to the people, that it would get the message across. Moses and Aaron thought, we don't want to deal with this again. We're going to make sure we don't. And they just mess everything up. Must we fetch you water? Oh, oh, Aaron, uh, Moses, you've got a little too big for your britches. When did you ever bring anybody water? The day I or anyone else gets up here and thinks they're bringing somebody something is the day we need to step down. God is the one who does supernatural things. 
And that's why on my worst day up here, he can minister to you. <laughs> that's why when I can come up here and I can go, that was awful. People will still come back there and go, Pastor Will, that was awesome. God spoke to me. And I go, well, I'm glad someone was awesome today because it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And it's always that way. It's always the Lord. Must we fetch water? You've never fetched water for anybody, Moses. It was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our sight, just as everything that's ever been accomplished in the name of the Lord has been done. And then we cannot forget that. Moses got way too self-absorbed, made this way too personal. Because you didn't trust me, that my way was best, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. The word there means to set me apart, to show that I'm different. God's not like the other pagan deities that were out there that got angry and did this and changed the way he felt about them. We talk about Jesus being the only way. There's a reason for that. He's the best way. People say, oh, Allah's a loving God. No, he's not. Read the Quran. It says very clearly, he does not love his enemies. He hates his enemies. Jesus prayed for his enemies. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. That is not what Allah says. That's not what any other God says. Those gods are made in our image. They're like us. <laughs> we don't love our enemies naturally. God does. He's different. And this was an opportunity to show the people how different he was. And Moses messed it all up. You didn't sanctify me in the, in the eyes of the people. Therefore, here it comes, the hammer. You shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given to them. Wow. Can you imagine Moses in that moment? Everything you'd worked for. Everything you'd put up with for 38 years. All the things you personally overcame in 40 years in keeping sheep to even get to this point. And you threw it away in 15 seconds. I doubt Moses thought that would happen when he struck the rock twice. But that shows you he didn't take representing God seriously enough. And it also shows me how seriously God takes it when leaders misrepresent him. Listen, don't touch the glory either by seeking it for yourself or through tarnishing it by your disobedience. Just do what the man says. <laughs> Just follow your orders and represent him. You say, hey, well, Pastor, well, I'm not feeling it right now. Tough. Let him do it through you. There's been numerous times when the phone rings and you get a weeping spouse on the other line my husband, my wife just left me. And I may not be spiritual at that moment. And the Lord says, it's go time. You may not be ready, but I am. Will you do this for me? And you gotta go. You gotta be ready. You say, okay, Lord, I'm probably not ready for this, but you are. I wanna get this right. Give me the words to say. Give me the attitude to have. Give me the representation of you that they will see you in this, not me. And I promise you, He'll come through. You may not feel like you did a good job, but he's more than capable of making up for you and your weaknesses. God isn't like other gods. He's not like us. He's way better. And when a leader gives people a wrong impression of him, God has to do something. And so if you're a leader tonight, we're not gonna finish chapter 20. If you're a leader tonight, you need to recognize this in all of your decision-making processes. I had the privilege of having some of the best mentors in my life. My very first pastor was one of the godliest men I ever met. He always thought about others. Never, never, never himself. 
And then I got to observe Pastor Chuck, who just lived for others in every way, just taught people. He had so many things that people would say negatively about him. He just loved him and served him. I had other pastors here, like Pastor Gibb, who I watched go through trial after trial. People who they'd, he'd loved and served for years and years and years who would turn on him over just something. And I, I came to realize through watching these godly men that, Will, you can't just do whatever you want in the heat of the moment. You must measure every decision, every action out. What do you want me to do, Lord? How can I represent you correctly? You have to take that into account if you're a leader. Always stick with God's character, no matter how you might be feeling. Now, we'll close with verse 13. It says, the Lord was sanctified in them there. So God preserved his mission by providing for their need and disciplining Moses. So he still got the message across in the end. The only one that lost out was Moses. So let's not lose out like Moses. Moses doesn't die here, but the story in a sense for him ends in ashes. From ashes of a red heifer to the ashes of Miriam to the ashes of all the dead of that generation out in the wilderness and now to his dream of seeing the promised land, it dies. And this meant something. (laughs) It was a big deal to Moses because we're gonna see him on multiple occasions go, hey, Lord, hey, uh, I know you're a merciful God, so could we talk about this again? I really messed up. And the Lord says, it's okay, Moses, I forgive you, but you're not going into the promised land. That's how serious this is. Let's not have ashes in our life because we decide in that big moment to totally blow it. God holds leaders to a higher standard. Jesus himself said that it is better for a man to tie a millstone around his neck and be thrown into a river than to cause a little one to stumble. To misrepresent God in front of people is a big deal. And yet, it seems to be one of the most common reasons why people reject God. We must sanctify God in our hearts and minds. This means having an accurate view of His holiness, love, mercy, and justice. God is a loving and just God. We must represent Him correctly. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. I'm lost without-